welcome to episode number two with Andy Dolich to continue our series in life in the front office. I'm Jay Kirschman recording this episode with the three legends that have made up this podcast. Um, Andy, welcome. It's great to be with you. I was thinking about you know, life in the front office and uh, starting off with Fred Claire, um, having me in the middle, and then having Pat Gallagher in our third and having you as the moderator. That really is sort of the perfect equation of what we're trying to do. I mean, you have lots of experience in the three of us represented in Fred, career with the Dodgers, me, which we'll get into in a number of different sports, Pat with the Giants and what he's done after that, and you, as you're going down a career path right now and building your resume, that's really what we're trying to accomplish here uh, in life in the front office, is helping as many people as we can, you know, the sports careerists. Uh, who would like to have that opportunity to have some of the experiences, if not more than we've already had, because all of us, I think all four of us are poster children for the level of success that you can get to with a bit of a plan and some hard work and the ability to build a network of people that are willing to help. Well, and ironically enough, you know, you and I went to the same graduate program. You'll touch on that in a second. And Fred was fortunate enough to work for the O'Malley's, in which he mentioned in the in the first episode, who are also connected to the Ohio program. And then even more ironic, ironically enough, and you'll touch on your career with the A's, but between, you know, Pat and yourself and Fred, you guys have quite a bit of time in California, and that's kind of unique in itself as well. But wanted to dive well, into. Yeah, you look at you look at those rivalries. I mean, uh, Dodger blue and Giant black and orange. They don't like each other. <laughs> and every time I see Fred, I see Kirk Gibson hitting the home run against Dennis Eckersley. So uh, there's there's no doubt uh, there's there's a lot of competitive juices flowing amongst the three of us and. You've had the opportunity, as I have, to go to Ohio University, and we're extremely proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, wanted to dive more into your career. You know, obviously, you've had a lot of different stops along the way, unlike Pat and Fred and and where they've, you know, quite frankly, been with one organization for a really long time. You know, but that's what makes sports unique in that everyone has a different path, kind of like we pointed out in in the first episode. And you know, no one better to demonstrate that other than you. And, and so dive into a little bit of, you know, where you started and how you got to to what you did throughout your career, because being in four of the, the power sports at the top is, is quite a unique accomplishment. My wife, Ellen, who uh, we've been together for 45 years, which I think is one heck of an accomplishment in the business of sports. She said, if you're such a smart marketing guy, I read all these articles that you did this and that. Why didn't you ever sell a sponsorship for us with a national moving company? And I think that's a question that I really couldn't answer, uh, but was was the right question. Uh, you know, in life, you should always be able to sell what you're going through, having gone to different places. So um, I went to 
American University. I was not a very good student. I was going towards uh, government. Um, I was an okay athlete, non-scholarship basketball player, sat on the bench of a varsity team, uh, which I'm very proud of, earned my letter, but realized I was wasting my parents' money. And that's when I heard about the Ohio University Sports Management Program, which ironically was started by Walter O'Malley, who owned the Dodgers. And um, I was able to get into the program, uh, graduated in 1970 with my master's, and OU was the first and the only school in the United States. Today, as you know, and others who are listening, there's well over 375 programs in sports management uh, throughout North America and probably another three or 400 around the world. Uh, my big break, although I didn't see it at the time, was becoming an intern for the Philadelphia 76ers. And just a few years before I was there in 1971, uh, they had Will Chamberlain and Billy Cunningham and Hal Greer and Luke Jackson. They were one heck of a team, 68 and 13. Well, when I got there in 1972-73, when I uh, basically turned my internship into a full-time job at $4,800 a year in 1972 um, as administrative assistant to the general manager, we did something that has never been done since that time in the NBA. We won nine out of 82 games. That's right. We were nine and 73. Three seasons ago, the Golden State Warriors uh, were 73-9. and nine. And I asked Rick Welch, the president of the current Warriors, hey, Rick, what do you think's harder, 9-73 and 73 or 73-9? and nine? Uh, They didn't hear anything at the end of the phone. Um, so that gave me kind of an insight into sports is not all beautiful, but it gave me the opportunity to take on responsibilities that I never would have had if I were working for the New York Knicks or the glamorous Boston Celtics at that time or even the Lakers. Um, after two seasons there, three seasons there, actually, I went into a startup sport, indoor box lacrosse in the National Sports League, in National Lacrosse League. Why did I do that? More money. I had got married and a better title, vice president, from intern to assistant to the GM to VP in a few years. Thought that was important, stayed there for two years, um, and then went to the Washington Capitals, uh, the National Hockey League. They had become an expansion team, played in the same building as what is now the Washington Wizards, but way back when they were the Bullets. Um, and then moved on to the North American Soccer League with the Washington Diplomats. The big deal at that time was soccer was really starting to grow through the massive interest in Pele and the New York Cosmos. We played at RFK Stadium. Um, the break that I got there with the Diplomats is the team was part on by Madison Square Garden Corporation. I got to work under the legendary Sonny Werblin. And I was the VP and general manager, so I had responsibilities both on the player side and on the business side, and that was the first time that I had that in sports and the last time that I had that in sports, um, which we'll get into in a moment. Then um, I re 
received a call from a great mentor of mine, Matt Levin, about the fact that the Haas family, the people at own Levi Strauss, were buying the Oakland A's from Charlie Finley. I uh, was lucky enough to be hired as vice president of business operations in 1980 and was with them for 14 seasons. We went to three consecutive World Series, 88, 89, and 90. We broke a lot of attendance records. I was involved in creating something called Billy Ball, not Money Ball, but Billy Ball, all around Billy Martin, not Billy Bean. And uh, we beat the Giants, uh, swept the Giants in 1989. And right in the middle of that World Series, there was a major earthquake in the Bay Area, significant, serious deaths. Uh, the World Series was postponed for 10 days, um, and it was the first uh, national sports event in which the broadcaster described something as uh, as incredible as an earthquake. Al Michaels talking about it on television on ABC. Um, and the Haas family, the people that own the Oakland A's, were without a doubt in, in my life the finest ownership group that, that I ever worked with. We'll delve into that a little more later on. Um, after that, um, I went across the hallway in Oakland and became the president of the Golden State Warriors. That was short-lived, um, only a year, and then I opened up my own sports marketing consulting company for a few years and got a call from Michael Heisley, who had just bought the Vancouver Grizzlies of the NBA and made a decision that he wanted to move the team from Vancouver, not because the support wasn't there, but the Canadian dollar at that time, Jake, was 61 cents against the U.S. dollar. So everything we took in was essentially 50 cents, uh, and we had to pay out everything you know, for the players and everything else in U.S. dollars. So the team was moved to Memphis. Uh, we looked at New Orleans, Anaheim, Louisville, but we did a great deal with FedEx. We built FedEx Forum right next to Beale Street after playing in the Pyramid for several years. And uh, I was there for seven years, got to work with the great Jerry West. He ran the basketball side. I ran the business in the building. And then I got a call uh, that brought me back to the Bay Area as Chief Operating Officer of the San Francisco 49ers as they were figuring out where they were going to build their new stadium, subsequently moved from San Francisco to Santa Clara, uh, left uh, the 49ers in 2010, hung my consulting shingle out there in the sports business and have been running um opportunities concepts new businesses teaching talking writing and doing everything that i possibly can uh, so that's a quick journey for 45 years uh, of my adult life yeah i mean clearly you've touched a lot of different people a lot of different organizations a lot of different sports um and and quite the journey and adventure like you had kind of alluded to earlier you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people listening would, would wonder is, you know, what's it like in the front office, but then also what's it like in the front office of four different sports or five or six, and what are the different people like, and maybe touch on, you know, what those different opportunities presented and uh, what those environments were like. Sure. It's an amazing dichotomy, again, when you think about uh, Fred Clare and Pat Dow. 
years or 80 years, you know, that they've had working for just two organizations. And, you know, my view of, hey, Andy, can you hold the job? Uh, you know, do you have ants in your pants? Um, what I saw early on, uh, when Fred talked about the player side, although he got into it through public relations, Pat got into it, as you'll hear, on the marketing side, I saw that the fluid that runs through the veins of sports was green early on. And because of my time with the 76ers, where it was before the NBA sort of became this global power, um, I was given the opportunity to do jobs that I never, ever would have gotten uh, in other organizations. Because, quite frankly, we were chaos and disaster which I happen to believe is a great opportunity for people to advance. The example that I give people, okay, after the Golden State Warriors won back-to-back championships last year, how many resumes do you think they got in that next week? Um, How many do you think came into the Atlanta Hawks or the Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, A lot less. So where do you have the greater chance? And so I always looked at the business as a triangle. Up at the top is ownership. Um, You have to have quality ownership that's committed to the journey. Uh, At one part of the bottom of the pyramid is your product, the team and everybody in and around the team. If you don't have a viable product, it's like a two-legged stool. It's not going to stand very well. Um, And that's players, general manager, player personnel, people, coaches, strength and conditioning. And then on the other side are the revenue generators. And that can be in anything, public relations, advertising, community relations, uh, building operations. Those are the people that are sort of the stagehands to make sure that people are having a great time coming to see the greatest athletes in their world on a night-in, night-out basis doing things that, you know, we could only dream about in an unscripted setting. And so to me, even though people say, well, how did you move through all of these sports? I was really in the same business. I mean, it was the ability to generate revenue. Now, if you're uh, looking at a career where you want to work in the National Hockey League or you want to work in tennis, or any other sport on the player's side, you do have to become an expert in that area, sort of like a general practitioner on the medical side and somebody who's a specialist. In the world of sports that I've inhabited and many, many others, I just thought there was a greater opportunity in the revenue generation side, in the people side, than just in the player side. And that's just a decision that to a certain extent was happenstance because of where I'd started with the 76ers. But then by design, I knew that I wasn't going to be a broadcaster. Um, I wasn't going to be in a situation where I was going to break down film and pick players in, in the draft. Um, it was going to be revenue. It was going to be leadership. It was going to be buildings. And that's really where... Uh, my career path went. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about people. I mean, it's a people's business. It's a people's uh, industry and in, in where, yes, there's a lot of analytics that are uh, being used now and more and more every single day. But at the end of the day, it's still about people, right? And maybe touch on 
some of the lessons that you learned throughout your career that, you know, people who currently work in sports or want to work in sports could learn from? Generating revenue is important, but generating ideas is almost as important. So it's when you mention sales to a lot of individuals who are looking at the business, they sort of turn their noses up. But if you analyze it, everybody's in sales. Even if you're a player, you're selling your capabilities, especially the way players uh, are, are broken down in analytics and metrics today. You've got to stand out. Uh, what I learned, uh, pretty simple, is run to chaos and disaster. Uh, go to places where there's an opportunity. Um, so much of sport, so much of what you hear in leadership, mentoring, any kind of class, sounds so trite. You know, show up early, stay late, volunteer to do everything, never be afraid of failing. And understanding that although you're going to respect an owner, an executive, or anybody else that you're coming into contact with, that doesn't mean that you have to fear them. Uh, you should be able to speak your mind and not being um, someone who's moving against where the majority wants to go. But if you're not confident enough in your own abilities, you're not going to stand out. And that doesn't mean from an ego standpoint, we've all sat in many meetings where we know who the smartest person in the room is, no matter what the circumstance. Uh, teamwork is extremely important and is harder and harder to find in today's world because individuals have so many incredible capabilities, they're not always willing to give that up to work for the team. I also believe that it is important to find a mentor, to find somebody in that business or close to the business that you can really have an adult conversation with um, that exposes you to the opportunities that they had. Because even though uh, there are all of these programs in sports management and so many opportunities, it's not easy to find all of the different arteries and bypasses that help build a career. And I'd also say that understanding politics, and I don't mean the politics that we have in elected officials, but how offices work, how organizations work, how you move through a big organization that might have thousands of people and how you move through an organization that might have 50 or 60 is critically important. And the other major point, which we've talked about before and you've heard many, many times in your life, is the ability to keep your family as close to you as you can, no matter how you define your family these days because it has literally a kaleidoscopic opportunity in our society. But these jobs take a lot of time and effort. Um, and if you don't have uh, a family around you, again, however you define that family, that you can have another life, it can become uh, a difficult circumstance. I've seen a lot of people sort of lose their way because their life is dependent on their business card, right? The loss 
them speak my language. And I go, no, LOL means loss of logo. If you're not working for a team or a building or a sporting event and you're trying to find your way, uh, being firmly uh, entrenched in any kind of family involvement and your friends is significantly important. Yeah, and, and more or less, you know, being well-rounded, and I think uh, that's something that young people and people even, you know, in their careers currently in sports can learn from. You know, obviously you've, you've done it. You've been able to stick around uh, by your family often and uh, with almost every move, and you've probably moved more than, more than most in sports. Um, one of the things you brought up is your loss of logo. I know we talk about identity all the time and, you know, that's with today's athletes and the past athletes, you know, what is one thing that working in the front office, you took pride in from an identity standpoint in terms of representing the organization, but also knowing you had to hold yourself to a higher standard. I would say that it was always trying to be the ultimate representative of the fan. And people uh, will ask those of us in sports, what was your greatest moment? You know, what's the single greatest moment you had? Team wins a championship or you've done something. Um, to me, it's, it was always the opportunity to walk around a venue and to see thousands, if not tens of thousands of people having a great time. People of all kinds of backgrounds. And... As a kid, I was a real big Disney fan. I didn't know that the Disney philosophy was going to affect me until I went to Disneyland the first time in California many years later. But I just saw that it was magical, the way that they brought their service out, the way that you could basically, for that period of time that you were at the park, you could be in Fantasyland. You could enjoy yourself. You weren't seeing all the other things in life that somehow aren't always as much fun. And I've always tried to bring out in talking to fans and having uh, organizations that were fan-centric understand, even with the giant broadcast deals, corporate sponsorship, naming rights, ownership billions, if you don't have the heart and soul of the fan in at least what I've directed my life to be in marketing and sales and advertising and promotion, then you're going to fall short. Yeah, and you talk about you know all the different kind of promotions you've been through. I'm sure many of people have asked, you know, what was your favorite promotion or what was your favorite team to work for or you know who had the best. Uh, venue, you know, obviously being part of one that started in Memphis and, and Santa Clara. Talk about some of the experiences that, quite frankly, you think you had um, that some maybe haven't experienced and what lessons those taught you. To me, Jake, some of this, as we've talked about before, you know, tried as right or, hey, Andy sounds like Uncle Sappy. You know, I thought he was cynical and sarcastic. Um, I would say that in all of those different stops along the way, another great sense of pride was the quality of the organization that we had. And when you're in the top of any organization, you know, your name is out there in the public. Um, but you don't get there without having an incredible team. And as I look at 
the Oakland A's, we're, we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary next year of winning the World Series against the Giants. That was 1989. And that just sort of sticks in my head, like, how? 1989? Like, that doesn't seem so long ago. But that's 30 years ago. Um, now, if I say 1971 with the 76ers, you know, people weren't, many, many people were not born then. Um, and probably many were not born in 1989 either that might be listening to us. <laughs> but um, I, I think the consistency, and again, listening and knowing Fred and Pat and many, many other um, leaders, men and women in the sports business, it's, it's that consistency. It's the ability to bring your A game every day. And ironically, as we start out here, and I don't know if we've really discussed this, you know, you have Pat, um, 30 plus years with the Giants, Fred, 50 years with the Dodgers, Need, 15 years with the A's. Um, you know, that with, the, with spring training, the regular season and postseason play, that's close to 200 games a year. That can wear you out. And, and you're at pretty much every one of those games if you're really committed to your career. Um, and you've got to have a lot of energy in which to do that. You've got to keep yourself healthy, as I've talked about, the family before. That's important to you. And your family at work, being able, and it's not always perfect, and there are going to be disagreements, but you need to do it maturely. You need to basically do it out front and not do it behind anybody's back. And if you look at the quality organizations in sports, right, there's 122 teams in the big four sports. And um, if you did a litmus test as to how many of them year after year are viewed as great organizations, how many mediocre and how many not so good, all of that really comes down to the DNA makeup of the organization that we talked about before, ownership, the quality of your business management, the quality of your team operation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate all the great insight. That's um, certainly, you know, years and years and years of experience and really enjoyed hearing the, the different lessons and the different insights of, you know, not only one league, but, but four different ones and many more. Um, you know, one thing someone might ask is, well, you've done all this. What are you up to now? Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the projects you've kind of taken uh, on and, and then also maybe even a little bit about uh, your writing experiences along the way. Uh, there was a young gentleman named Jake Hirschman. Do you know him? I think you you know him pretty well. I may. Um, and there's a project that uh, he and Norm O'Reilly and Rick Burton and Heather um, at Ohio University uh, talked about, and it was what about a book that really identifies um, what student athletes who don't necessarily get picked in the pros, how do they build careers? What should they look at? So um, the book, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA Student-Athletes Who Won't Go Pro, is out and selling pretty well. Um, people are interested in it. 
I just did uh, a presentation at the University of San Francisco a few weeks ago, and people uh, who had heard it smiled. People that hadn't, I smiled uh, because it will be of interest to see if they go out and purchase it. Um, and it's the opportunity to share knowledge. So you and all of us, uh, you know, were able to do that. That's you know extremely extremely important um, that you pay it forward. Um, and I'm also in, involved in TBT, the basketball tournament, which just completed its fifth year on ESPN with a first prize of two million dollars. Uh, the largest open men's basketball tournament in the world. I'm involved in another basketball project called Three Ball, which is taking advantage of the upcoming Olympics, which will have gold medals awarded in women's and men's 3x3, three-on-three basketball. This is not the NBA's Big Three, which has gotten a lot of positive ink. Ice Cube uh, and others, no, this is uh, Olympic-based uh, 3x3 basketball, which people will be hearing more and more about. Um, also involved in the fan-controlled football league, FCFL, of which there will be a fair amount of publicity, I think, hitting in the next month or so. Um, this is the first um, live sport, indoor football, um, that the fans make every single decision. Uh, where the teams play, uh, the name of the team, the players, um, lots of other coaches, and ultimately real-time play calling. It's all based on something that I'm a genius on, cryptocurrency, uh, bitcoins, and the world of digital uh, metrical communication. But we've made some progress. This has been out there for three seasons last year. Uh, there were two teams, one in Colorado Springs, one in Salt Lake City, um, that played, and the experiment worked well enough that this league is going to be launching, uh, we believe, in the summer of 19 in a city in which all eight teams will play in a unique stadium situation that probably has never been seen before. So I'm excited about that. I do some teaching at Stanford School of Continuing Studies. I stay extremely active with Ohio University. I'm going back to the University of Oregon next month for the 25th anniversary of the Warsaw program, which is one of the finer programs. Although Ohio University is the number one program in the world, and it's not just Jake and Andy saying that, right? It's a national organization, a global organization, that has given us this honor. Um, and I'm also involved in a small immersive entertainment company called Be Here, which is trying to figure out how uh, all kinds of virtual reality, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence is going to work in the future. Other than that, I'm, I'm not doing very much. Well, sounds like you're uh, really not that busy at all, uh, but more, more or less involved in a lot of different projects. Uh, very exciting work, and if there's any theme to that, it's sports is certainly changing. There's a lot going on, and who knows what the future holds. Obviously, we can get into that in a lot more detail in some further episodes. 
but really to recap today's episode, Andy, a um, couple of the things that, you know, I picked up was uh, one, you know, take advantage of the opportunities in, in the ones that uh, quite frankly, aren't the most glorious, right? Try and find the ones that, that uh, don't stick out right away. You know, absolutely positively. Uh, again, I hate to throw out things that people have heard, but character is revealed when nobody's watching. And believe me, in this business, which is very cosmetic, people are always watching. So the kind of work you do, the kind of manner that you bring it, this is also not quantum physics. Um, some people overcomplicate the business of sports, and I'm not minimizing the fact that it's all purely simple, but um, ultimately when you think about it, there's three letters that you want to basically uh, have part of, of your mission plan, and that's F-U-N, because uh, in today's world, there's a lot that isn't fun, and this should be something that is. It's important to win. It's important to make money. It's important to have quality security at your events and treat people with the kind of respect that they deserve. But it's still sports. We don't know what the outcomes are going to be. All the pundits think they know what's happening. And every day, in every city, in every sport, the pundits are 100% wrong because the outcome is completely unknown until it happens. Well, fun it is. And uh, one of the things that we're going to have fun with is having three of you guys uh, on the, on this podcast, you know, sharing stories and, um, you know, Pat Gallagher quite well and would love for you to, uh, tee him up for the next episode and tell us a little bit about him. Pat is a force of nature, uh, comes from the theme park business. He and his brother worked at a number of theme parks. He probably knows more about animals than Fred and I and Jake combined times 10.
which is without a doubt one of the finest professional sports venues anywhere. Um, you know, the Giants went on after we beat them four games to nothing in 1989. As people know, the Giants won uh, three World Series, uh, you know, in the last few years. Um, and he is just somebody that many people in the Bay Area uh, look to. He was hired to help uh, promote, market, and position the 50th anniversary of the Super Bowl, which was played at Levi's, and it was a spectacular event in large part because of what Pat and his team at Super Bowl 50 brought to it. And like Fred, me, and others, he's out there every day trying to do as much as he can for the future generations of people working in sports to make sure that they have as good a time and more importantly the fans and the organizations you know are run as professionally as they possibly can awesome well we're looking forward to pat's episode in episode three andy thank you so much for your time today we enjoyed the the knowledge and the breadth of it um really looking forward to our next episode with you as well and i'm sure there's a couple more stories between you and pat we can share and uh good night well, the great news uh, is, I would just say this as a plug, uh, people might get a bit bored hearing from the three of us, but we've got a lot of friends in the industry, and I'm looking forward to the conversations that we have with people uh, that have done a bit of everything in the world of sports. That's what's so exciting about life in the And that's it for today's episode. For feedback and questions, please email lifeinthefrontoffice at gmail.com. And to follow us, look for posts on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter from Andy, Fred, Pat, and myself. Thanks.